we're back. Welcome to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am also Mike, and I'm going to be joined in a few moments by Andrew of the Knobcast for what is yet another huge Netflix news roundup show where we get into their recent purchases, like the Chris Evans, Ryan Gosling, Russo Brothers film that was going to be made for a whopping 200 plus million. So they're going back into the temple area with the gray man we're going to talk about richard linklater's next project we're going to talk about perhaps a best animated feature contender in bombay rose we're going to update you guys about hillbilly elegy about i'm thinking of ending things about the next tom holland movie that was announced and it's coming out in september all coming to netflix but we're going to start with their numbers they finally released a whole report on their top 10 Uh, original movies and people have dove into what this means people have dissected these numbers 10 different ways people have talked about their top tens and they've done all these elaborate point systems and all these like takeaway statistics at forbes etc in terms of what netflix properties and what movies just in general are doing on netflix And Andrew and I are going to break down what those numbers mean. We're going to compare it to the box office in terms of viewership. It's a huge discussion. It's a meaty discussion about cinema, about uh, the future of uh, movie watching. And uh, I think it's more optimistic than you would suspect because I think there's a lot of movie watching going on out there uh, in the world that's, uh, that's getting me excited. I mean, these numbers got me excited today. So Andrew's coming on in a second, but I forgot to do the social media in the outro. So make sure you guys follow Andrew at Nomcast Pod, at Jokes on Drew. Those are his Twitter handles. You can follow us at MM and Oscar on Twitter. You can follow both our shows on Instagram and Facebook. Do please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. We'll remind you again of that at the end of the show. That goes a long way to helping both our shows grow. Uh, And visit Andrew's new website, nomcastpod.com, his big, beautiful new website there that he just launched, I think, a couple weeks ago. And stay tuned. MikeMikeAndOscar.com is coming. We paid for the Squarespace. It is happening. It could be some point in the next 10 years, but it is happening. We'll tell you more about that in the coming weeks. I think, I hope. Anyway, great discussion between Andrew Morgan and myself today. Enjoy. All right, Andrew of the Nomcast is on the line. He is back for our ninth collaboration together. Mike had some scheduling issues. Mike won. You were texting me in a fury this morning about <laughs> the uh, the new story on the trades about the Netflix Top 10 and uh, we were looking for an opportunity to do something, even if it was a guest spot. But I think we filled out kind of a Netflix news show once again. And, you know, Mike and I have been kind of shying away from news shows lately because just the news has been so depressing. But this is actually positive news. These are these are cool stories. Somebody is putting movies out there. Netflix is doing it. <laughs> and they released this uh, top 10 most popular original movies list. What was your first reaction when you saw this list? I mean, these are some big-name movies here. Um, nothing is shocking to me about this. Well, actually, I take that back because we were talking in the pre-show. One title shocks uh, <laughs> the daylights out of me, but outside of that, everything here lines up. I'd also like to say, Mike, and I want all your listeners to hear this, 
for anyone who sees this list, it is the 10 most popular original movies since they started making movies. So we're talking, you know, five years back now. And mm-hmm. yet all of these titles are since the Nomcast started. So you're welcome, Netflix, that all these there titles were huge, booming successes because uh, they're all within the last 18 to 20 months. And that's about how long my podcast started. Uh, you know, Ballad of Buster Scruggs was my first episode. So if you want to say that is the timeline, um, uh, everything here is in there. So, you know, kudos to me for propping up Netflix once again. Sorry for the snort there. But yeah, no, a seminal moment in Netflix original movie history. The Nomcast That's right. has buoyed up this list. No doubt about it. But, I mean, to your credit, you've done episodes on most of these movies, uh, which is really cool. And I've, I've listened to most of them. And I, I think our fans, hopefully by now, have listened to a bunch of them as well. But what did you think about the list of titles here? Because we have, you know, Extraction, Bird Box, Spencer Confidential, Six Underground, Murder Mystery, The Irishman, Triple Frontier, The Wrong Missy, The Platform, and The Perfect Date as the 10 titles. What do those say to you? Well, and I just do want to chime in with, and we were talking about this uh, off mic as well, is that the old guard is projected to land in the top five right. as well, because I think they said 74 million was where it was projecting in terms of uh, mm-hmm. views. Mm-hmm. So so this will obviously bump perfect date out. However, uh, the things that did jump out to me were top eight all have big ticket stars. It's, yeah. you know, every, you know, Hemsworth, Bullock, Wahlberg, Ryan Reynolds, Adam Sandler, De Niro, Affleck, Spade, you know, obviously in descending order, Spade definitely is the eight of those names. <laughs> um, but, you know, big tickets are somebody who if you see the the little box, the little thing with that star, it, it's like a billboard for, you know, Netflix. It stands out. It makes a ton of sense why these movies would be that representation. Um all of them, uh, like I said, are all from the last 18 to 20 months. Yes, I call it the Nomcast era, and yes, I already put that out there. However, the it, is, bump. it is notable that you know Netflix also gained a lot of subscribers in the last few years since they started sure. doing this. I think they've also gotten better. That's why I started my podcast, that they kind of started to aim towards doing not only uh, big-ticket stuff, uh, you know, like – Obviously, in here, if you saw like Spencer Confidential or Six Underground, something with like or something with known directors that we talk about constantly or whatever, uh, you know, that started more or less in the last two years because they kind of had to get their footing of what they were putting out there. And now they've kind of gotten a lot better at it. Um, And so, you know, it makes sense that even though it's a five year list, last 18 to 20 months is when they really rounded out. I also love that two of them were first-time directors. Nice. Three of them were by uh, directors who have never had a hit or only had one previous film. So a lot of people who are getting early opportunities that Netflix is kind of investing in, which is a common theme that I've seen, at least in my coverage of the Netflix originals over the years. So that's pretty awesome, too. So a lot of the themes that we cover on my podcast for these films seem to really be represented here. Also in terms of uh, the popularity of some of my episodes based on the films, uh, a lot of these match up. 
too. So oh, that's it, cool. it, it doesn't shock me. Like uh, Bird Box is still my number one episode, no matter how long ago it was and how embarrassingly early in my podcast uh, <laughs> life maybe it was. Uh, but it's still by far the, the most downloaded thing. So to have it be up there, that was a phenomenon. And to have Extraction beat that, that's amazing. Well, these are crowd-pleasing movies for the most part. I haven't seen Spencer Confidential. I've seen everything else on this list. Well, with the exception of the platform, because I only I chickened out like a half hour in. Uh. But listen, these movies for the, well, Six Underground's not great. I'm gonna keep going, you know, with the butts here. But look, I think these are crowd-pleasing movies if you like these genres. And Netflix has really capitalized on genre filmmaking, especially underserved genres in the cinemas. So you can watch these movies at home. It's a click away. Here's what's crazy to me, Andrew. Yeah. These numbers are enormous. Yeah. Look, I mean, I've been tracking the box office probably since college. So that's like 11 years ago, but before college, really. In high school, I started you know, going nuts about the box office myself. I always love numbers and simple computation. I don't like complicated <laughs> computation, but simple computation. Look, if you put a $10 movie ticket amount on a per viewer, right, as yeah. an average movie ticket, I mean, extraction is making almost a billion dollars at the yeah. movie theaters. You right. know, just translating that number. Obviously, there are factors. Obviously, you know, they have to pay for a ticket at the movie theaters to go see it rather than, you know, as part of a $15 subscription service on their streamer. So it's a totally different ball game, of right. course. But look it, when you see the viewers, that's what's just blowing my mind because we have 99 million viewers, even if that's a two-thirds amount that actually watched the whole movie, yeah, right, that's stuck with it. 66 million viewers yeah, for extraction. Nuts. I mean, 30-plus million people watched the platform in its entirety. <laughs> I mean, right. by these numbers. I mean, look, uh, uh, Spike Lee's movie, Defy Bloods, uh, in these articles, I, I read that it's it's approaching 27 million viewers. Right. Spike Lee's Black Klansman made $93 million at the worldwide box office. That's 9.3 million viewers in its theatrical run. It's an entire theatrical run. Yeah. So again, even if it if it did two thirds that amount in terms of watches from start to finish, the five bloods got double the viewership in its opening than Black Klansman did at the movie theaters. Yeah, I mean the only thing you have to really kinda compensate for here because it is Netflix is that this is the equivalent to the theatrical and streaming release for a standard mm -hmm. studio film that goes into the theaters the so you kinda, yeah, the video release the watch right. at home release. so i get yeah, it yeah so you got to take it all kind of in but even with that said it would still be a, a a wild equivalency uh you're right like a lot more people watch defy bloods uh, we're also seeing a weird uh you know kind of correction point here too with uh covid and everybody being home sure. and and being able to have these <laughs> and the limited uh, releases around some of these titles you know extraction had a big time platform with being that big a movie when nothing else was out at the time so that is kind of like a mix of uh different things happening that made that work I, you know and the platform came out 
also during quarantine. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that could obviously be a big part of this as well. The curiosity factor, especially a subtitled film, a Spanish language film. It's uh, that's so shocking to be in at number nine. But yeah, there's a lot of factors with some of these, but most of it boils down to just the packaging is pretty uh, with this between either big time directors or known commodities. You know, it's not something that had to be a slow burn. It's something that literally day one, boom. You want to see Michael Bay? Here's Michael Bay. You want to see Ben Affleck? You, here's Ben Affleck. You know, it's so it's pretty simple. Well, I wanted to talk to you about the star power factor, too, because in television, you know, with HBO premium, you know, uh, series like that, star power has been a major factor. Maybe stars aren't building the box office the way they used to. Maybe that's heading into the direction of the IP, right? Sure. And, and the types of stories that are that are the serialized stories that are out there. But in terms of television, you know, if if Denzel Washington starring in a TV movie or a TV series on HBO, we're watching that. Oh and yeah. People are flocking to it, or et cetera, et cetera. A lot of movie stars, a lot of television stars. I mean, they're they're one and the same now. We've seen it, you know, throughout. It's no longer movie stars won't do TV anymore. No, they're using TV to buoy up their profile. Yeah, I mean, the morning show is like a big example of that, right? Like, how many stars did you get in that for Apple to throw a ton of money at a show that normal, you know, would not get that otherwise? Uh, So that's impressive. And, you know, like you said, HBO, too. I mean, like Big Little Eyes has a ton of stars, Mm -hmm. you know, so it is definitely crossing over in a big way. Yeah, even like a, the Kevin Costner movie about uh, who was it? The two notorious killers there. Uh, oh, the Highwaymen. The Highwaymen yeah. came out on Netflix, and uh, oh, who are those killers? My Bonnie goodness, and Clyde. My brain. <laughs> Bonnie and Clyde. Thank yes. you. So we have you know Kevin Costner movie about Bonnie and Clyde. It's not very good, but Kevin Costner's yeah. in it. I love dad movies with Kevin Costner. Sure. I watched it. So, and it's on Netflix. And, and Woody I Harrelson. Think, don't don't uh, undersell the Woody Harrelson yes, effect. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, yes, sir. The true detective effect. There before you know he played in The Highwaymen, he was in True Detective. Sure. Uh, with Matthew McConaughey, for Christ's sake. So, yeah, I do think star power is a major factor with Netflix. We, we're going to talk about that again with some of these other stories. But we got a bunch of top ten, top twenty lists from netflix in terms of their numbers a lot of people you know extrapolating theories and, and really putting point systems about what the, the netflix numbers say and i just want to say to you i think i would pay a lot of money to see netflix numbers like the more netflix numbers that come out the more i want to see more netflix numbers i would pay, probably pay a hundred bucks to see in that top 10 list to see numbers 11 through 50 or 11 through 100 i would i would pay a lot a premium for that i i want to see yeah what those numbers are i would think especially like guys like us or obviously you know pundits of you know especially now when we don't really have much else to talk about <laughs> it, if netflix really wants to show you know everything that they got going on and and especially while certain other streaming platforms are kind of getting some punches taken right now disney plus um you know they can kind of you know jump in and be like look at how successful we are look at this huge boom that we got and oh yeah even all the way into the top 25 we have these amazingly high numbers that'll blow your mind that might be something interesting especially as they're trying to you know talk other people into coming to the team or Mm -hmm. you know trying to you know maybe acquire more 
uh, to get them to land on the platform. I'm sure they're doing this in their own pitches. They don't need it to be public, but you know, it's <laughs> it's kind of interesting to see people's reaction to all of this. But if they did like a box office mojo or an IMDb Pro or a VIP like a Variety has, and I love Variety, yeah. we're gonna get on them in a, in a few minutes. But <laughs> I, I love Variety. I I would be all over that for for Netflix if they had that option somewhere to see their numbers. And like you said, when are these views coming in? Are they come all coming in during the quarantine? That is a fascinating study, and we do get some extra list like i said travis bean at forbes.com he has been tracking the netflix top 10 list which has been a a fun new development for the nomcast in particular but yeah. definitely a fun new development at forbes and he put a point system on when these movies show up and how many times they're in the top 10 list and basically you know to give some highlights despicable me 297 points the angry birds 2 is in second spencer confidential the wrong missy angel has fallen extraction going down the list cloudy with a chance of meatballs is at 12 365 days that's the basically uh, pornographic yeah yeah. yeah yeah that's the pornographic movie that everybody's just home horny and watching that's on it. netflix these days <laughs> and it, you know with john henry at 20 coffee and cream at 19 etc cetera, etc cetera. what did you think of this list I, ha I had a bit of a problem with it because i'm such a platform release guy with all the oscars but what did you think of this point system well i first of all you have to be taking that these top 10 lists are in good faith that these are accurate right. day to day or how often they change. I don't know. Um, and how often he's, you know, tracking them. I don't know if, if they only change them day to day. I haven't really paid attention that hardcore good for Travis Bean to be able to take this on. That's why when I saw, it, I was very intrigued, but some things that really stand out, uh, in terms of kind of the algorithm getting you with some of these titles, they, I think you could definitely see the hallmarks of what they're trying to peddle. Uh, uh, over time uh, because first of all you see a lot of Netflix originals here so definitely yeah. what they try to sell on date and day release whatever and trying to really push uh, the stars like we saw obviously the extraction numbers and Spencer confidential numbers overall uh, we're seeing obviously the effects of that in this top 10 list so you got that and then obviously you got a few Adam Sandler films here that are not Netflix originals so Having Sandler as kind of this overall deal that they have, I think they kind of try to make the Sandler effect work on Netflix. Yeah. Like, this is your home for an Adam Sandler. So I think that works out a lot, too. The other thing is a lot of animation, whether their own yeah, or whether definitely. stuff that they you know have just for viewing on streaming. And obviously that colors some of the news that we've heard, not only in terms of what they're releasing this year, uh, but things that are going forward. So you're really starting to see what people watch on there. You're getting kind of the information that you're seeing Netflix take in and what they are doing uh, in terms of their purchase power, or what they're looking to develop in the future. And you're seeing it in real time. And I think it's going to have a major effect on their content buys. I mean, we know how the algorithm influences netflix i mean it's not only natural to, to think that so i universal's got to be thrilled with this too like despicable me you know based on this list if it's been in the top tens this much we know what these numbers translate as especially during a high volume watch period such as this quarantine right despicable me might be a 10 film franchise now you never know <laughs> it's getting the second life really third fourth life whatever but i mean my god that helps 
Despicable Me's profile that helps Universal's profile so much, we might get the Angry Birds 7 now, and Netflix <laughs> may be purchasing the Angry Birds at 4, 5, and 6, you know, to put it out on their streaming pla- uh, service because it has done so well there. Yeah, I mean, like, if you thought things were dead and then Netflix revives them, they definitely have done that or are looking to do that now. I know, uh, you know, when we were covering The Old Guard, that Atomic Blonde 2 talks got kicked up at Netflix. So even though that wasn't their own uh, product, they are obviously very invested in the sequel market. So, uh, which, man, going back to the original top 10 list, man, does that forecast exactly what they have in the pipeline. uh, And they got to be over the moon about all those action titles in that top 10 because they are trying to set up so many franchises right now. And if these keep working, the numbers seem to bear out. Man, they got a bunch of hits that are about to pop right now coming in the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, Cheeto has fallen. That is coming out on Netflix <laughs> in 2024. I'm certain of it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, 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 it says a lot. Wait, which mic is this? Numbers. I'm sorry, you were breaking up. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, Mike Wan will be proud of that. Yes, uh, he will. Jab there. All right, we're, this is, we're into our centerpiece because Owen Gleiberman... Uh, he is now at Variety. He was a longtime writer and film critic and pundit that we both love. We talked about him in the pre-show. We were both, you know, fans of his going back to his entertainment weekly days, uh, going way back. He wrote a scathing take on this top 10 Netflix original movies list because he doesn't believe that these movies are good enough to be on this list. He's he's kind of going soft on the viewers and he's going harder at Netflix because he thinks that Netflix is promising like this utopia for indie filmmakers, for these new filmmakers, and their films are not necessarily getting the same showcase that these other movies are, and he was kind of poo-pooing this entire list. What say you, Andrew? Well, Mike, obviously that inspired a lot of uh, what we're doing today. Uh, I think I had to take an elephant tranquilizer after I read this because I was so fired up. I had so I like had the hot take button, you know, on speed dial. I just immediately went right, right to you. How can I say these words in a microphone? Um, <laughs> Yeah, I I definitely took this, uh, even with just the title, Mike, I mean, the real message of Netflix 10 most popular movies list, (laughs) filmmakers proceed with caution, is wild. I mean, for a person like myself who's been covering Netflix for Mm -hmm. almost two solid years, we hear the same stories all the time uh, from filmmakers as big as Scorsese or as you know, small as like first-time filmmakers, it's always been well. Nobody else wanted to make this movie, and Netflix put the best package together, and they made us believe that you know this movie, you know, especially a lot of passion projects that have never been made by this director that they want to work with, they somehow find the one movie that these other studios don't want to make for some reason, and they, you know, make it work, and yet. So the title already here, you know, to say <laughs> that, you know, filmmakers should uh, proceed with caution uh, is ridiculous. Not only for the fact that, A, they get a payday that Netflix provides on some of these that they would have not gotten otherwise. But no the, question. The, but 
you know, un- serving, like you said before, serving underserved genre movies that have kind of gone away that these people, you know, that don't end up in the movie theaters. Just because studios bailed on you doesn't mean, you know, Netflix will. And Netflix swoops in all the time and does this. I mean, and that top 10 list makes complete sense. And I, I have a few quotes here, if you don't mind. Uh, Go ahead. Taking the liberty. But uh, <laughs> these are the ones that really bug me. And I want to know kind of your reactions to, of course. Uh, Netflix, along the way, created a mythology about these award contending movies suggesting they were going to be able to find audiences at home beyond what they might have in theaters. The question raised by the list, did that actually happen, or is it a mythology based in fantasy? Which is so arrogant. But anyway, go ahead. So based on those numbers, and based on viewership, right? Even if you tally up the initial home video viewers and the theatrical run viewers, a good indie film, is making maybe 10 to 20 million at the box office, correct? Right. That is 2 million viewers. And a lot of them don't get international distribution. Right. So if film number 10 is 48 million, right, Right. in its first four weeks only, never mind the long haul, right, what is film number 50? And how many indie films, how many first time filmmakers are building their profile with tens of millions of people? watching their stuff their first run stuff and like you said it's not like netflix is operating as quote-unquote dana white here i mean dana (laughs) white's been been hit pretty hard by ufc you know for paying his fighters very little but yeah i mean they'll win a fight of the night bonus for 50k and they'll you know they'll make a couple hundred thousand k for punching each other to death sometimes (laughs) right at the ufc it's not like these people are being given pennies on the dollar no. for their projects. No, they're being made whole and when Netflix buys something from a studio and more than that most likely, they're being paid o- over the margin price based on it, putting them in the black. You sure. know, they're not in the red these studios. So, I think Netflix I mean, they're the cock of the walk. Ted Sarandos is the mayor of the Gotham Awards for a reason. <laughs> right. I mean, he is the most popular person there because everybody knows. Everybody knows that he shells out the big bucks and he really takes care of his filmmakers. And they've been making so many more friends than enemies over this first 10 years, the first five years, really, of their movie studio existence to the point where they're the biggest movie studio on the planet by a lot. Yeah. And they're and they're overpaying for things. I know. So I just think it's absurd to look at those numbers and then I mean it almost sounds like sour grapes, right? Oh, totally. It sounds like sour oh. grapes from a cinema lover and I I relate to that but it still it doesn't make sense when you think about the numbers. No, and I'll get to some of the other quotes which ends up being wildly wrong if you just even did a little bit of research but mike i also i I just want to put it out there and maybe we could get this in the zeitgeist once you brought up ufc i was like wait is he going to make a pitch for netflix island are we going to do like fight island but we're all going to have you know netflix island i didn't know if that's where we were going but now i believe in it i believe in it as a project wholeheartedly the MCU has the outskirts of Atlanta. Hey. I mean, Netflix, I mean, can they take New Zealand? I mean, New Zealand's probably my favorite, you know, film setting. So, yeah, yeah let's, Netflix buys New Zealand. Now we're talking, because <laughs> they're not going to buy a little tiny island somewhere. Yeah. They're going to buy, like, a country. Oh, probably. sure. Sorry, New Zealanders. <laughs> well, hey, listen, you know, Trump tried to buy Greenland, right? Why can't Netflix try to buy New Zealand? Let's let's do this. Um, 
So here, here's a few more things, and again, like it'll make more of the points. And you were spot on, by the way. I totally back everything you said. The, he said the prospect of making a film at Netflix has been predicated on a kind of holy promise. If you make your film there, they will come. And again, if you're looking at just this 10 list, you got to think, wow, these are some gaudy numbers. So how, how can you think that anything that's not on the list does not also overserve what you think that it possibly could have done, especially with their subscriber base? So, and again, like you said, if you're an indie film, what was your alternative? You know, maybe not getting uh, as much uh, overseas distribution, uh, maybe getting a limited release instead of a, a, a larger, you know, wide release, you know, or making a, a certain small amount. Like you said, 20 million, 25 million. Mm-hmm. At best, that's At a best. hit. Right. Yeah. So exactly. So I, I don't I don't get that here. And then he follows up, with, which I laughed at this one. Uh, he says, does anyone seriously believe that if Netflix didn't exist, Spike Lee would have never made The Five Bloods? Um, did you read any of the interviews with Spike Lee? The answer is yes. Yes, I do. He said it in plain English. He said he shopped it everywhere. Nobody wanted to make The Five Bloods. And Netflix was realistic with the budget of this one. It wasn't a Irishman thing. Like mm-hmm. you clearly saw in the film, he had the older actors playing their younger selves because of budgetary stuff. He said it on the record. Like they didn't have this overwhelming budget, and yet this movie still got made by Netflix. And when everybody else said no, and that is a common story amongst, especially in the last few years. I don't get what Gleiberman's doing here, and if I know that. If I know that, and I'm a lowly podcast on the lower rung of the totem pole, what is Owen Gleiberman doing? That he nobody's going. Uh, well, this is actually public knowledge. <laughs> I, I think he's really got to look closer at the numbers because they're just so ridiculous that you can't say these things. Because, I mean, here's a fact about entertainment, in my opinion: a rising tide or a high tide. Yeah. I'm not a. I'm a land lover. I'm not a sailor, but <laughs> a high tide will raise all boats. Yeah. I mean, when I watch Netflix, I'm just a casual viewer. I don't have the nomcast, right? Sure. When I watch Netflix, and if I like something on Netflix, I'm watching something else on Netflix. Right. And I think that goes for Hulu. Like, if I watch a Hulu movie, whether it's an original movie or, you know, something in their library, I'm probably watching two or three Hulu movies that week. Same with Apple TV+. Yeah. I watch the morning show. Then I clicked on Defending Jacob. Right. I didn't like Defending Jacob, so I'm not clicking on another Apple TV Plus show. I'm not (laughs) in a rush to click on another one, right? Right. I think the the laws of entertainment aren't, you know, acting along the strict lines of supply and demand. It's not just something that depends on how much you put out there. It really depends on quality, appeal, star power. There's a million factors. But hits drive the business. Hits drive... The movie theaters, like if you go see a great movie in a movie theater one week, well, you're going to be encouraged to go back to the movie theaters the next week or the week after later on, no matter how frequent a moviegoer you are. Exactly. I mean, the first thing that came out of my mouth when I called you and was like wild about this article, I was like, (laughs) look at the end of the year numbers for any movie year. 
it's always like some gaudy, terrible fran- uh, franchise film or some kind of thing right at the top. It's never like, oh, what one best picture? I'm sure that's in the top ten. It never is. The fact that The Irishman is number six on this list is amazing, <laughs> comparatively speaking. I think movie consumption is higher than ever by hundreds of millions of viewers because the entire world is watching movies. Everybody has just been decreeing or decrying, I don't know how to pronounce that, (laughs) the death of cinema. Well, maybe cinemas are having a harder time right now. Maybe that'll go the way of live music in a way and it'll be a different different thing to do. Maybe. But I tell you what, people are watching movies more than they've ever watched movies before and this quarantine, this coronavirus has built that into an exponential level of multipliers. Sure. I mean, 99 million viewers in four weeks for extraction. That's amazing. 56, 54 million viewers for the platform. Yeah. A subtitled Spanish horror movie. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Anyway, I, I know I think Owen Gleiberman is not looking at the numbers like I said, but movies aren't you know, and, and Netflix isn't, you know, the New York Knicks. You know, <laughs> right. people aren't just gonna go and sell out the garden just because they're the New York Knicks. Yeah. You know, Netflix, they do have to be careful a little bit. If they put out 12 bad original movies in a row, I do think that affects their bottom line at the end of the day. I do think people will not go in for that 13th movie necessarily if, right. if it, the quality is not there. But they are pleasing crowds. These are crowd-pleasing movies. Yeah. Noah Centineo is a household name now. I believe, we talked about this last year, I believe Bong Joon-ho raised his profile with mass audiences, which also raised his profile with Academy members because Snowpiercer and Okja were on Netflix and they were, you know, establishing his name as as this bona fide auteur. That reputation mattered going into his charm fest throughout last year's award season to where he was such a film festival and uh, a precursor award show darling with the critics. I think Celine Shiama being on Hulu right now with Portrait of a Lady on Fire, that raises her profile so damn much oh, yeah. because it's being watched so much. Imagine if she had an English language hit like Bong Joon-ho did on Netflix. Yeah, I, It matters. It really matters. And I, I do think even if you... Even if you scale down the numbers way down to where you you lowball it, and you know something like uh, give, give me a, an indie film from Netflix, like Crip Camp, yeah. right? Let let's or say the Crip half Camp, of it, which we both loved. Let's say the half of it made you know had has five million views, and that's lowballing it. Sure, I would guess the half of it probably has fifteen to twenty million views. If, if it had five million views, that equals fifty million at the box office, right? Are you kidding me? Yeah. So a movie like that, probably made for less than five million bucks, would would have been a humongous hit yeah. at the theaters. In terms of viewership, I, I know it's not a one-to-one scenario. And if Crip Camp, I mean, if Crip Camp was watched by a million people, that's right. a $10 million run at the, at, the, at the theaters. In terms of, again, in terms of viewership, they, they got to be over the moon that a million people watch their movie. Yeah. No, I agree. A lot of these are from festivals that a lot of people, maybe, you know, the average person doesn't go for, but that's 
front and center on a lot of their products. Like this was from Tribeca. This was, you know, from all these different awards years ago. If I was a young person just trying to get into film, like these films, the fact that they're instantly available and that they can promote other entities of the film industry while you're doing it. And I think Netflix is doing, you know, not as much harm as people think. It's just they're kind of a byproduct of where the studios went years ago. I mean, I remember, I think it was, it has to be more than five years ago now. I think it was like 10 because it was mm-hmm. like in the early stages of the MCU or maybe before then. Spielberg w- uh, was in an article where he was like, yep, it's going to come a time where we're literally just going to have movie theaters just for tentpole movies and everything else is going to go online. And people thought he was fucking crazy. Guess what? Papa Spielberg was dead on, uh, you know, and it's it's only yeah. getting worse. The only thing that you might see now that, you know, being post quarantine or whatever, maybe people are starting to realize, like, the effect movie theater experiences had on them, too. Because the sure. we're getting a glut of sitting at home watching movies that maybe there will be a course correction. But obviously they're going to take it that hit first. But, you know. Who knows? Maybe we'll see. I mean, you're seeing all my friends who have gone to any drive-in theater in the last few months have definitely taken pictures of like, look at me, I'm watching a movie. You know, here's people. (laughs) You know, this is wild. So, you know, imagine if it was something like Tenant, Wonder Woman 1984, et cetera, et cetera. Like, it would be huge. Yeah, I I agree with all that. So, Ted Sarandos, he was appointed co-CEO at Netflix This was another major story this week. To me, this is Netflix understanding where their bread is buttered, Andrew. They understand that their business model is going to rise and fall with the new content uh, that the library, the Netflix original library, is going to drive future subscriptions to their service, even if we get a, you know, temporary downturn after the coronavirus which we both expect i would say right sure when the quarantine's over the netflix subscribers is gonna dip back down you said it before they might be stripped for parts as the streaming wars rage and everybody buys you know this the ip from all these movie studios so that's why netflix went on that content buy a couple years ago to increase production yeah to to have that library that people will keep going back for so what did you think about ted sarandos he goes from the head of like programming right and now he's co-ceo of the whole shebang well it makes sense he's kind of been the face of netflix this whole time especially to anybody on our level uh you know Mm -hmm. it's kind of been that way and and he played his hand right i mean the the subscriber based stuff you know obviously is gotten a kick with this like you said but you know he he's done everything right he saw where the streaming wars was going to happen you know where everybody's going to take their ball and go home as i like to say where it's like oh we made that we gave you this deal uh but once the contract over we're taking it and they kind of you know evaluated all those things and then you know slowly but surely put the puzzle pieces together to make a viable product even when those things left does is anyone talking about how oh friends left netflix and they're struggling nope you know why because they have so (laughs) many things it doesn't matter they they put all the puzzle pieces in there uh this is a a, like you were saying if i watch something on netflix i'm probably going to watch something else on netflix yeah because not only does the algorithm work incredibly well but they also have so many options that they will find something if you're on Netflix long enough. They will really hone in 
on what you want and, and, and they will get right to it. It's not hard. It's basically the Amazon of, you know, yeah. which is funny because Amazon Prime, but like it's kind of <laughs> like the Amazon shopping experience of, of right. finding that, especially because they make great shows on top of making great movies. So they, they always mix and match and it's all it's all right there for you. Well, I'm in with Netflix because of the original movies, but I'm also in with Netflix because I'm not exaggerating. I probably have 25 shows that I watch on Netflix that I want to see the next season of. Yeah. So I, it's not. I'm again. I'm not exaggerating. I watch all these shows like crazy. I probably should be a TV critic at some point, but <laughs> I mean, it matters. It meant like I couldn't give up Netflix if I wanted to. Right. If I was broke and I only had an entertainment budget. Of fifteen dollars, I'm probably keeping Netflix. Unfortunately, and I hate to say that and be such a cheerleader for you because I like <laughs> playing devil's advocate at times. Yeah, and the smug grin on your Zoom face right now is is uh, <laughs> scaring me a little bit. But I, I I think it's the truth. And anyway, I, I wanted to talk about a couple more stories here. I think Ted Sarandos, he's named co CEO, and he comes out swinging because Netflix is on a buying spree. The biggest story this week is that they have, according to Deadline, they've started a James Bond-level franchise with a budget of upwards of $200 million by purchasing the Ryan Gosling, Chris Evans, Russo Brothers from the Avengers, Marcus and McFeely from the Avengers and Captain America screenwriters, The Gray Man. They purchased this, and it's going to start production in January. What would you think of that? Uh, it, it is absolutely a huge get for them. It's right in line with what they've been setting up this whole time. Uh, we discussed it on the Old Guard episode that we just did where mm-hmm. they have Extraction leaves you with a cliffhanger where they easily are going to do an Extraction 2. Yes. Six Underground is literally set up to be Six Underground seven like all these different ones they literally show you a spot where it's like we have all these different missions that they have out because they wanted that to be a franchise so the fact that it did well it will be and then now the old guard it also leaves on a cliffhanger and it's based on a comic book that has enough ip to keep that going in franchise mode so they have three big successful action franchises going right now let alone what else they can acquire like like i said starting up um, atomic blonde maybe making more of those uh and then now this where it's set up to be another franchise with some big names and big time director producers and it also has uh you know the writers that the russo brothers are accustomed to with yeah. their big franchise ones too so they i i really can't see where this is gonna miss and it might be the biggest thing they've ever gotten well, I, I love the comment from one of the Russo brothers. He said, uh, we have all committed to the first movie, and that's got to be great to get us to a second movie. So they're coming right. in humble, too. The guys who made the biggest movie ever on the planet are coming in humble, saying, <laughs> we got to prove our keep again. My goodness. Well, I mean, they so, also yeah. produced Extraction, so they already have the relationship yeah. here. It was probably an easy conversation. Uh, to do so to see how many viewers something like extraction could do with one Hemsworth and then you know you're you're gonna come in swinging off the top rope here uh, with Gosling and Evans uh, it, it and having the Russos actually at the helm this time instead of just being in the production end it's it's instantly got me hooked 
Assassin versus Assassin, Gosling versus Evans. I'm clicking on that tomorrow if it was available. One hundred percent. I'm with you. All right, so Netflix also bought Richard Linklater's Apollo Ten and a Half, which seems to be one of those hand-drawn animation over live-action drama. Linklater's done this throughout his career with Waking Life. I believe a Scanner Darkly, I believe that was him. You know, that kind of, it almost looked like it's underwater animation in a way. Yeah. I, I've never really gotten into those. Me I don't neither. Like, <laughs> likes a Scanner Darkly. I just, I mean, it's visually, it's it's wonderful, but the, the, those two movies weren't great. Waking Life was something I had to watch in school. It's like a philosophy lesson. It was just boring, unfortunately. Yeah. But here we have Apollo 10 and a half. This seems to be more mainstream. It's about a kid, you know, watching the Apollo 11 mission, and it seems like it's going to be like a coming-of-age story. That link later has knocked out of the park before. What did you think of that buy? Yeah, I think it makes a huge amount of sense, and I'm, I know where you're going to go with this uh, following up because they did another uh, animation buy as yeah. well. So, listen, as we saw with the Netflix Top 20 uh, like more popular films list that mm-hmm. had a was chock full of animation, whether it was their own or something like Despicable Me or any of those. Netflix knows that they're the home for a lot of these animation projects now, especially during COVID. Obviously, that is going to get a boost for sure, but that doesn't mean it's going to go away or that it doesn't mean anything. And they have already been going hunting they had klaus and i lost my body i mean those two were both set up for obviously oscar nominations then they come this year where they already had the willoughby's come out they had that trailer for over the moon uh where the Mm -hmm. animation looks great and then oh yeah they have uh i believe oh right the guys from wallace and gromit making a film before the year's out too uh with robin robin so they're just going to keep swinging with this animation stuff and really try to, you know, fill. A, they're never going to be taking Disney's lunch. But the fact that they're trying to go punch for punch lately is very interesting. And this obviously sends a signal that those two type of films, you know, definitely work for them. If I lost my body worked, there's no reason mm-hmm. for something like this or uh, the other one that they acquired, Bombay Rose for them to also try to take a big swing with those as well. And yeah, and the Bombay Rose or Bombay Rose reminds me of the breadwinner, which was nominated a couple of years ago mm. in the animated feature category. My God, what a gorgeous trailer. Like I'm thinking best international feature and animated feature contender. If this movie delivers on how good this trailer is my goodness now is it eligible it played last year at venice tiff chicago mumbai it won chicago and mumbai last year but bombay rose watch that trailer folks my goodness this if this is eligible for 2021 awards this might be their best animated feature contender i know it's got to go toe-to-toe with soul we think we kind of hope from pixar there but my god this looks gorgeous what an epic romantic story I'm so impressed with that buy, but it's fun because it's an adult skewing animation property. Like you said, they made it work before. Maybe that says a lot about their anime films that have done well, you know, according to their algorithm, according to their numbers that I would pay hundreds of dollars to see. <laughs> it, it, it all matters, and, it, and it's really ex- it's exciting. It's exciting for animation. Like, these movies should make money. They should find an audience. And at the end of the day, I think that's the, the thesis of this episode for me. These movies are finding an enormous audience on Netflix, so it's very encouraging. 
Yeah, let's hope for the best. I mean, like you said, it's going to come out in 2020. So, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that they they already had such a good stacked lineup of animated films and then purchases, that's a big that's a big step for them. Onward's got to be a little scared at that one. Now, we had The Devil All the Time. That got a, its release date announced in September. This is Anthony Campos of The Sinner with Jessica Biel on USA, Tom Holland, and a, a huge cast of young actors, Sebastian Stan, uh, Mia Wasikowska, Eliza Scanlon. My goodness, who, who's who of young Hollywood in this one? This is about World War II in southern Ohio, the gothic, southern gothic drama. I, I, I don't know what to expect from this, but that's interesting that it's coming out in September where we have the mind-bending horror of I'm Thinking of Ending Things. You and I talked about this movie before from Charlie Kaufman. Yeah. But this seems to be like this twisted psychological film uh, based on the twisted psychological page-turner from Ian Reid. Yeah. And Kaufman is quoted in EW, speaking of EW, I don't set out to do a mind fuck. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> but then he says it's probably a mind fuck. And then, you know, there's a quote well, that said, I'm thinking of ending things is most certainly a mindfuck. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, you have the book already being a known property as a mindfuck. Right. So, like, not too shocking there. We talked about that the last time. By the way, I don't want to bury uh, this, which I think clearly you wanted to. The Devil All the Time being directed by Anthony Campos, which we talked about because uh, yeah. he is part of you, Homemade uh, the last time. You know time. me too well. Yeah. I hated his film in Homemade. <laughs> <laughs> so trying to like glaze over like oh yeah he did this and he did the center oh yeah he's got all the uh-huh, no uh-huh. he also had a uh, very mediocre homemade film that uh, oh mediocre's <laughs> giving it high praise yeah. right there <laughs> well I had I had the one piece of nudity Mike so I didn't want to bury that either um, so <laughs> wanted to put that, that out there but no you're right that I, I was very impressed with the cast of that one and uh, it definitely. If you read the description further uh, in the article that you sent me, anyway, the uh, the fact that it's it's based on a play, right? And it has like it seems to be, I don't know if it's gonna follow more of the like anthology setup stuff, not like a chapterized thing, but it definitely has. Hmm. It's broken apart with like four or five different subsets of characters, hence why such a big cast is needed. Um, uh-huh. But it, it definitely focuses on, uh, you know, how much the war affected things into the 60s and on the, these type of people in the in the deep south and, you know, and obviously southern Ohio here, too. So it, it definitely it's kind of like all across uh, different parts. And, yeah, listen, any of these thrillers I've noticed on Netflix definitely do really well. So the mm-hmm. fact that they're doubling down doing the devil all the time and i'm thinking of ending things just to like blow our minds in september uh great works for me i'm into i I love thrillers probably my favorite genre so that's appointment viewing for us in september and of course we know that jason clark is going to be a jerk (laughs) in the devil all the time he's probably the devil and he's probably the devil all the time in that movie sure would be my guess by the way for anyone who wants to see too i don't know if you saw they have pictures now of images from i'm thinking of ending things now and it looks Mm -hmm. perfect i mean i'm a big fan of jesse buckley and you know she looks 
right for the part. Like, everything is so pitch perfect from what I understand of the script and the images they put out. So it, it, it looks like it's going to be this real small town, nowhere to go, you know, nail biter of a script, psychological Ugh. mindfuck, as I said. Uh, yeah, I can't wait for it. That one still of the two ice cream servers yeah, yeah. at the windows of this little ice cream yeah. parlor. Oh, my God. It's freaking me the hell out. Oh, yeah. I'm, to- I'm totally in. Uh, so last uh, story here. We have Hillbilly Elegy or Hillbilly Elegy, as uh, I like to pronounce it. Mike says Elegy yeah. just to spite me. <laughs> That's due out in November, and it's going to lead in with a th- limited theatrical release, they hope or at least according to the Toronto International Film Festival stuff that Ron Howard did. So I wanted to ask you, you know, we've talked about awards ramp-ups for these films. On one hand, giving it a limited theatrical release seems to signal that this is one of their awards movies. Obviously, the cast signals as much as well. Glenn Close, etc., etc., Amy Adams. You know, this was supposed to be their big player, one of their big players this year. Yeah. But then it's coming out in November. Mank's coming out in October. We're not having the Oscars until April, and we're not, you know, at the end of the eligibility period until the end of February. Is this too early? Is this signaling something that Hillbilly Elegy is not as good as we hoped? And the Midnight Sky is probably their big contender. What is this saying, do you think? I think uh, we talked about this a little bit the last time with uh, some of the news about, like, obviously the Charlie Kaufman movie and Mank. Right. We've kind of talked about the release dates of those and being like, what does this signal? I personally think at this point it's it's more and more talking about a few things. One, they're still buying. So I think they think they're going to have more stuff going on and on <laughs> throughout the rest of the year and into early 2021. Not to mention they have... If, again, if it holds true to what they said months ago where they said, listen, everything we made that was supposed to come out in 2020 is coming out in 2020. So there's still a lot left here to come. Maybe there's some things that are way better than we think they are. Like you said, A Midnight Sky is one of those. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, uh, you yeah. know, that's coming out too. The Prom you know the ryan murphy musical especially with all the other musicals either being the boys in the band yeah the boys in the band too so like we got a lot of stuff still in the tank here enola holmes is that the project (laughs) too as well the sherlock holmes thing that's also coming out in september um right and then we had talked about all the animated projects that are still yet to come too so like they have a deep fall and into the winter so either a uh, this stuff is not as big as we think it is, and it's a little bit early based on what else mm-hmm. they got to come. Or, like we said in the other previous one, this is what is ready, and they have a business to run, and they need yes. to get product out because there's nothing in. I mean, oh, I'm I'm in the summertime blues right now. Thank goodness the old guard was good. Otherwise, like the stuff they have coming up, I'm like, woo, got kissing booth too. Let's let's do this, and then. <laughs> And then I got to ride it out until uh, Jamie Foxx, uh, Joseph Project Gordon. Power. Yeah, I got to ride that out until mid-Octo- uh, mid-August, excuse me, uh, and then see what else is going on. So for how much they might have done, I think that's what's going on here, where they're, they might just have to be like, we need some big thing per month or every couple weeks or else we're going to lose share here. That was a quote in one of these articles, I forget, but I don't know if it was Sarando saying it, but uh, one of the Netflix higher-ups was like, we want 
a major movie coming out once every two weeks. And that major movie may be something different to, to one person, like it for ex- Extraction might be your movie, and then The Wrong Missy will come out, and that'll be, that'll be somebody else's movie. Right. But they, I mean, that's more than any studio's doing. Oh, I mean, yeah. studios <laughs> are lucky if they have one major release a month. Uh, you know, a major release, let's just say. So I, I just think they're, they're the biggest movie studio on the planet for a reason, and you're right. they got a de- they got a long slate that's probably going to get added to as we go forward. So we thought we were going to do 20 minutes today. We wound up doing an hour, almost an hour <laughs> together. I don't know if Mike and I are going to paste a, an addendum or an intro on this together uh, to, to lead into this episode. We'll see what happens. But uh, I know he's dealing with some stuff with his doggy, so I hope – his doggy's okay, and uh, I hope we can get back behind the microphones again soon. But this was this was a heroic performance by you, Andrew. <laughs> uh, you know, I, hopefully people know where to find you by now. But just let everybody know what's happening. What's you kind of just talked about? What something's coming up? But where can they find you, and 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 uh, what should they look forward to? Yeah, I know I kind of undersold what's coming up, man. But I, I definitely have some episodes that I'm looking forward to, including. Uh, you know, if you're at home and wanting to watch some, some things or take some risks, uh, this mm-hmm. week uh, w- we have coming out a Netflix Hidden Gems episode that I'm oh, doing. Nice. So, like, three movies that don't get the attention of something that was maybe in that top 10 or that top other top 20 list. Uh, something to chew on for that. So, stay tuned for that. Uh, you can find all our stuff, obviously, wherever you listen to podcasts, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever. Uh, nomcastpod.com for any info on me plus all the latest episodes there as well and you can learn all about uh, I just joined up uh, with kind of a a content creation group uh, network of sorts uh, forgotten entertainment uh, with a bunch of guys who make uh, excellent podcasts themselves that I'm very happy to be aboard with them Uh, forgotten cinema if anyone's listened to my podcast before those guys have come on mike field and mike butler before uh and they do a great job they have video game podcasts they have beer podcasts they have all kinds of good stuff uh so definitely check out forgotten entertainment uh online as well and you can find me there as well as all the other good stuff so yeah man a lot of good things uh feeling good and i feel better now that i unloaded all my netflix (laughs) burdens onto you that i fired off and we got it all out no that was awesome and yeah you're crushing it and we love having you as a guest here as for mmo i'm not gonna uh, do a long spiel here but you guys know you can find us everywhere you you get podcasts as well please rate both our shows the nomcast and mike mike and oscar five stars on apple Podcasts. that's a subscri- subscriptions the like button all that stuff really matters in terms of helping us grow our shows organically you know we've been building every month now and it, it really is a huge boost to our confidence and and it's an encouragement for us to be able to keep doing this it's keeping the dream alive andrew <laughs> we all got the dream of just being able to only podcast and and do that make make a living at it that's, and, it. Uh, that's the dream Hopefully that'll happen for us both someday, and we'll just be a, a culture of podcasters, or at least uh, uh, you and I will be part of that culture. And really, the two most important pillars of that culture. <laughs> let's just say I'm, I'm, I'm ran- rambling. Mike's going to kill me because we're going so long today. Yeah, I'm trying to just keep you off the streets, Mike. That's all I'm doing. Just keep you making more podcasts, three a week, four a week, whatever you guys want to do. Just uh, you know, 
stay healthy, stay indoors, and talk great stuff every week. But we did the Oscar Olympics last week. It was a hit. You guys loved it, so maybe we'll do another one of those. But Oscar Race Checkpoint, MMO Weekly, I know we've been lagging on those. I'm glad we did a Netflix news show today, but we're going to do some more news shows coming up. Mike and I both have lists of like you know 20-something things, and we're probably going to do a whole What We're Watching episode, like Critically Acclaimed, Mr. Bibiani's show there. It's a great podcast, so go listen to that. He's a friend of the show. Uh, but he does basically one movie review after another for an hour. Mike and I... I may do one of those kind of shows because we got the reviews to give you guys. So that's what's coming up on MMO. But like I said, rate us five stars. That's a big help. And Andrew, thanks again, buddy. This was a blast. Thanks, man. Always a good time.